0: Welcome back to the Rust Street Replay, a Baltimore Ravens recap podcast. I'm your host, Nikhil Mehta, and with me today is Taylor Lyons, a fellow contributor to the Rust Street Report. Taylor, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me, Nikhil. I'm excited.
0: So what were your kind of first thoughts on last night's win over the Cleveland Browns? Kind of a crazy game. And my big question to kick it off was just, what the heck happened?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it was just one of those like classic AFC North kind of rock fight games turnovers kind of scrappy uh you know you like you said i mean you don't really know what it is i mean i think i think it'd be fair to say this was probably lamar jackson's at least one of his worst games as a raven um certain you know certainly at least, at least one of them um but i think it's kind of becoming like the theme of the season is they just keep finding ways to win in spite of you know poor play from lamar injuries whatever it may be they just keep finding ways to win
0: yeah, and it seems like that that phrase, finding ways to win, comes up every week just because the last four games have all been tight games. The Dolphins game obviously was a struggle for the offense, but against the Bears, tight game, had to find a way to win. Against the Vikings, had to find a way to win late in the game and, and win the game in overtime. It, it really is very, it's been a whirlwind two years from going from 2019, just beating down good opponents, good like a good Houston Texans team, a good Los Angeles Rams team that we really put the hurt on in 2019. Last year, some struggles, some COVID issues, and this year, all the injuries has just made for a crazy roller coaster ride every single game. Um, and and one thing I think that talk about finding ways to win, and and the people who are responsible for that, by and large, are this coaching staff. I feel like. You know, Roman got some flack after the Dolphins game, but Lamar, I thought the play call against the blitz yesterday was great. Lamar, Lamar was better against the blitz than he was from a clean pocket. Wink Martindale called a heck of a game with, with Calais Campbell, Chris Westry and Jimmy Smith all out. Wink still found a way to just funnel, to just force the Browns to try and win through the air and they just couldn't do that.
1: Yeah. I think, um, you know, we kept saying, finding ways to win. Eventually, You know, people say the Ravens are lucky. It's a fluke that they're 8-3 and or whatever it is. Um, Eventually, the finding ways to win, eventually that falls on coaching. Um, And I think we're kind of starting to see the buzz kind of go towards John Harbaugh for coach of the year. And then, you know, you look at the other coaches. I thought, you know, Wink Martindale had a great game, uh, kind of bottling up the run game with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. held them to, I want to say, 36 yards combined. I mean, that's probably, you know, one of the best, Uh, rushing attacks, at least one of the best running back duos in the league to hold him to 36 yards, like you said, without Calais Campbell. And, you know, I think his aggressiveness at times when it doesn't work, it gets highlighted. For example, you know, the Chris Westry, Marquise Goodwin from last week. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, when it does work, nobody talks about it. So I think it's, um, you know, I think it's worthwhile to, you know, highlight when he does well. Um, And then Roman, I guess my only thing I wanted to bring up with him was – Rashad Bateman I feel like he kind of got phased out of the game plan a little bit as the game went on he made he had a, a couple catches early on um but especially in the second half I mean it was like invisible you know got like Tylen Wallace James Prochet are getting snaps and targets offensively um so yeah I'm not really sure what happened I'm not I don't know if that's a Lamar thing or a Roman thing um but yeah that was just kind of like my big question or takeaway from the offensive side of the you know coaching
0: that was something I really noted, too. And, you know, I think one thing is just as they're getting later in the season, they're understanding how important their depth is. And, that, yeah, they want to get guys like Wallace and Proshi more snaps, even if it comes at the expense of Bateman. I also just think Roman making the adjustment and saying, hey, look, Lamar is just not at his A-plus passing game, and we just need to control the ball in the second half. And that's what they did. I mean, they even had a 17-play had a drive in the first half. where they Very just, long drives, yeah. Yeah, they just dominate the ball and you just beat up that Cleveland front long enough. And late in the game, you're going to be able to just wear them down, which is exactly what they did. Uh, And, you know, I just I'm just impressed. You know, you talk about Wink Martindale and the blitzing. I don't I'm not sure this defensive coordinator who understands the ins and outs of his player personnel better than Wink. He just knows where to put guys and how to put them in the best position to succeed. I'm sure we're going to talk about Tyus Bowser in a second here, but that's one of the things that stands out is when you have a guy who's so versatile like that, he is such a good pass rusher that no one would blame Wink for just sending him to rush the quarterback every play. But Wink knows the benefit of having Bowser move around and show different looks because he can drop back
1: into coverage and it just makes it harder for quarterbacks to understand what the defense is going to do. I completely agree. Yeah, there's no one that knows his players better than uh, better than Wink does. Like you said, getting them in situations, uh, you know, to show the best of their abilities. Like you know, Ty Spouser is probably the best example of that.
0: Moving on to our weekly categories, Raven of the Game. I'll I'll go through my nominees. Mark Andrews has obviously got to be up there. Only four catches, but converted that for 65 yards and two of the biggest plays in the night that I'm sure we're going to talk about later as well. Tyus Bowser, who we just mentioned, he had the sack, he had the game winning tackle. He was rushing the quarterback. He was playing, he was playing the run really well. He was dropping back in coverage really well. I, I I'm not sure there's a better all purpose outside linebacker in the NFL right now at playing at this high of a level than Tyus Bowser, Patrick queen, who eight tackles, two of them for loss. Like you said, holding the Browns to, I believe it was under, and it was, I know it was under 50 yards. I think. Um, yeah. They combined for 36 Hunt and Chubb and, you know, good tackling from Queen, good read, good job reading runs. Um, Odafe Owe with another great game, six pressures, a sack and forced that fumble and recovered it. And Justin Tucker, I just think deserves to be in this conversation because he's perfect every game. And this season we've needed that from him. And he delivered again, hit a 52 yarder last night. I had a couple honorable mentions. Hollywood Brown was just consistent as ever. Eight for 51, but nothing spectacular. Um, coming back from that thigh injury and same thing with Avert. coming back from an injury. I was a little bit worried the Browns were going to target him, but only got targeted twice and held up both those times. Didn't allow a single catch. So solid game from him too.
1: Yeah. Another guy I think I'll throw out there is Brandon Williams. Um, I thought he had a fantastic game, maybe his best of the year. Um, you know, he's been kind of, you know, warranted or not. I think he's caught a lot of flack from, uh, fans saying, you know, he's not worth the, I think it's 13 million he's making. Um, but he had a great game with Calais Campbell. He was a big reason, you know, Hunt and Chubb got uh, contained to just 36 yards.
0: Yeah, it was really vintage from Williams and we needed it. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sh- I just don't see him coming back. His contract's up after this year. I'm not sure I see him coming back. I think I'd rather try and get Campbell back if he doesn't retire. Uh, but you know, it's big for Williams to come back after missing a couple games and Campbell Missing this game because of a concussion, I was really worried about this rushing game. I honestly don't know who to give this award to because everyone played so well. I think it's I think I'll have to split it between Bowser and Queen and just name them co-ravens of the game because I've just I've just never seen a defense so short-handed be able to just completely dominate. I think the best rushing attack in the league. They have one of the best offensive lines easily. Uh that, that interior three is unbelievable. And Chubb and Hunt. When they're healthy, they're probably the best running back duo in the league. You know, I think I'd still rather have Dobbins and Edwards, but that might just be because they fit better in our in our offense. But really impressive game from the pair of linebackers.
1: Yeah, I think it's fair to split it between Queen and Bowser. Um, Queen is just he's just flying all over the field right now. His he, he was he was always fast and quick, but the play speed was slower than his actual speed. Uh, you know, he was having trouble diagnosing, you know, knowing where to be. Um, knowing what gap to fill stuff like that but it's really and you can tell he's um, you know watching the film studying the tape because on that first tackle for loss not even a minute into the game he's coming up on the line um, you know before the place that as the receivers motioning across Um, and then Bowser I mean he's he's just doing it all Um, you know whether it's covering receivers down the sideline strapping them up or, you know, he's becoming a better pass rusher too, which is kind of a thing that he's kind of lacked in, uh, you know, recent years that um, it's kind of come along in the past year or two.
0: Yeah. And I just want to shout out Eric Acosta and whoever negotiated the contract extension with Bowser this off because four years for $22 million is, I mean, I thought it was an absolute steal at the time. And now we're in, we're, we're finishing, we're entering week 13 of the season, the first year of Bowser's contract. And, I'm scratching my head wondering how we got him for so cheap. And for four more years, him, Queen, O'Air, all gonna be on this defense. And I think it's just really exciting, you know, another era of it seems like budding superstars on the defensive side in the Baltimore in Baltimore. I feel like in the mid to 2010s, we had guys like Zadarius Smith, Matt Judon, who have actually done better with other teams. I think now our raw defense, especially, is set up to thrive with the players we have we're going to get the best versions of all of them during their time here
1: yeah it's it's an absolute bargain i mean it's got to be other than you know anybody on a rookie contract it's got to be the best uh you know the most team friendly contract on the uh, you know on their books right now
0: yeah absolutely uh moving on to unit of the game i literally named every defensive unit for this the inside linebackers whether you're queen we already mentioned but Chris Board and Christian Welch in a lot of rotational snaps. I'm not sure what the deal was with Josh Bynes. He was on the sidelines more than I was expecting, but Chris Board and Christian Welch filled in those gaps really well. We talked about Owe and Bowser as the edge rushers, but Justin Houston was also phenomenal and just consistently pressuring Baker Mayfield. We talked about the defensive line as well. Brandon Williams was great upon his return. Then you have Justin Matabuke, Roderick Washington, Justin Ellis, just filling those gaps, just not letting themselves get pushed back on the line of scrimmage on those run plays and letting, giving the room and the space to guys like Queen and Bynes to go up and make the plays on Chubb and Hunt. Uh, the secondary, Marlon struggled. I think part of the reason we're seeing Marlon play not as well this season is because so much more is being asked of him without Marcus Peters on the other side of the field. But I still felt like Averett, Gino Stone, Chuck Clark had really good games, especially in coverage. And Part of the plan of letting of forcing Baker to throw really paid off because the cornerback showed up even without Smith and Westry. Tight ends and fullbacks were good, but more of an honorable mention just because Boyle, Tomlinson, Ricard were key in that fourth quarter drive to kind of kill the game. But you just, you want, I just want to see a little bit more out of Boyle, I think, just in the passing game because I think that's an underrated element. But of course, he's still working his way back from that knee injury. And finally, I like to shout out the special teams whenever I can because, man, another good game from them, winning at the margins, which is always important in these close games.
1: Yeah, with special teams, um, you know, Tucker makes the kicks. Sam Cook, um, had, you know, had some good punts, but the kick coverage, the punt coverage was awesome. Going back to the linebackers, I uh, Christian Welch. You know, I think he played like ten defensive snaps total. It's not much, but it was his most. I think it was a career high. Certainly mm-hmm. a high this season. And John Harbaugh talked about today just a little bit ago, actually, that, you know, it's him playing well on special teams is opening up a more of a role on uh, on defense. They got him involved in practice this week in the game plan um, and it kind of came to fruition, um, you know, in the game. And then Justin Houston as well. I think he goes a little bit under the radar just because he's not racking up the sacks or the, you know, the fumbles that the, uh, the, you know, that away some of the other guys are, but he is just consistently getting pressure after pressure. It's sort of like, you know, you last year where he was mm-hmm. just getting so much pressure, but just like, just barely missing on the sack. I feel like he's doing that all the time.
0: Yeah. You know, the other thing about Houston, a really underrated part of his game is just his ability to just play the run really well. He also was on some inside outside versatility yesterday, losing Pranel McPhee to injured reserve. I think it was before the Bears game made me wonder, like on those on those passing downs, are we going to have, you know, kind of a smaller inside rusher like McPhee? And Houston and Owe have both been doing that, uh, which is, I just think, another good, especially for Owe this early in his career to be able to get those reps under his belt, um, really just really strong from him. But Houston's Houston's run defense, again, you know, a really underrated part of his game, really key to this Ravens defense, just being able to trust every single person on that line. That if the ball if the play comes towards them, they can make the stop, and that's how I feel about this defense now. I'm there's there's no liability, there's no one I'm pointing at and saying I'm worried about the ball going in that direction.
1: I agree, yeah. And then going back to another point you made with uh, Nick Boyle, you'd like to see him get more involved in the receiving game. I think something like that will come as he you know gets more acclimated back into the offense and the game plan. Um, I think we actually saw his snaps kind of decrease this week from last week. Um, so maybe it's been a little more tougher than we could have thought coming back, uh, you know, being active on game days. Um, but yeah, hopefully, I mean, that's something that comes along in the, uh, you know, in a few weeks, because last year he, I, I felt like he was a really underrated receiver.
0: Yeah. And, and I, and I think his prowess as a blocker kind of in the same way as Ricard makes teams overlook him coming as a, as a target out of, uh, you know, whether it's out of the backfield or off the line of scrimmage. But I think another thing is all the talent we have at wide receiver now you know, when we do run passing plays, I understand why the offense, why Roman and and you know, the wide receivers coach and the pass game specialist T Martin, and Keith Williams, they want to get Proshi and Wallace out there more, uh, and Duvernay, just as a few examples, because those guys can really develop into really reliable receivers for us, I think. And yeah, they're still be- definitely better receivers than Boyle, even though he is kind of an underrated pass catcher. Could you so I found this really hard. I- I'm not sure I could nail down. I think I have to give the edge rushers, the edge out the outside linebackers, the, the unit of the game, just because they were the consistently the best. But I just thought this was the defense's game all the way through.
1: Yeah. I mean maybe if you can cheat a little bit just say just like the defensive front in general from the yeah defense, the front seven the rear of the line the edge rushers and then the inside linebackers.
0: Yeah absolutely just really impressive game and and bodes well for, for the rest of the season to see this from especially from the front seven with they've had a lot of rotations, a lot of injuries and and just being able to, to just execute these, these game plans against a tough offense. It's big. It's a big confidence builder too, for a tough stretch in the rest of the season.
1: Yeah. I think uh, the defense is really starting to just come into its own. Uh, we saw, you know, in the beginning of the year kind of struggled a little bit and they're still giving up, you know, the occasional big play. Uh, they had some this, you know, yesterday as well. Um, fortunately, none of them, you know, ended up hurting them. Um, but yeah, I mean the defense is coming into its own, and it's starting up front.
0: Yeah, it felt like a very throwback Ravens game. Ravens defense-led effort last night. Um, moving on to play of the game, you, you have those two Andrews plays on that drive to kick off uh, to kick off the second half that were just huge. The the one was the thirty nine yarder on on third down that he caught with one hand, and the other was the touchdown where Lamar Jackson is somehow finding buying time with Miles Garrett and, and Clowney chasing him and just manages to get enough on that ball to get it all the way to the end zone. And their chemistry is just so good. And it's, it's insane. I, it's it's Mahomes Kelsey level chemistry. Now you're seeing between the two of them. And they, I mean, they, they were really that drive. They were the offense on that drive. Uh, yeah, it's, I also had.
1: Queens, it's, uh, I, was real quick. I was just gonna say, it's really like the perfect example of like the backyard style football that Lamar Jackson plays just running around. Uh, you know, staying alive long enough to find Andrews open.
0: Yeah, and, and he, he did that on the first play, too. He was kind of rolling back to his left, and he, he got, I think, almost 50 yards under that ball, throwing off his back foot. And another kind of underrated part of his game is he's able to get just enough oomph on those scramble drills so that they're not falling short. Um, and, and and causing interceptions. Of course, he did have that one underthrown interception that, that I'm sure we'll get to later in the uh, bad decisions part of this uh, part of the show. Uh, I also had Queen's tackle for loss on that first drive, like you mentioned. He seems to have a really good awareness of how how opposing teams use motion. This is the second or third game in a row that I've seen him jump a play based on reading the pre snap motion. And like you said, that processing speed catching up to his actual foot speed is just insane. I mean, you have Ray Lewis in the house last night at the stadium hyping up and Patrick Queen is making these Ray Lewis style plays where he's just getting in the backfield and ending the plays before they can even begin. And I also had always forced fumble on the trick play with Jarvis Landry lined up as the quarterback. You know, trick plays, it's tough for an aggressive Ravens defense. Trick plays are are a good way to try to catch this defense off guard, but they just stayed really, everyone stayed really committed to their assignments. They didn't let the weird alignment throw them off and Oh, it was just hustling for the
1: ball. Yeah. We've seen that uh, in years past trick plays, uh, you know, kind of, kind of hurt us, uh, you know, more than most teams just because how aggressive they are.
0: Yeah. And, and I think, I think one thing that I've noticed is just the, the aggressiveness of the defense, not that it's been reined in, but I think they're just playing a little bit smarter in the, excuse me, in their last couple games and just not letting, you know, guys get behind them for big gains I've, I just noticed a couple of plays this time where, yeah, Jarvis Lange, you may have caught a 20, 20 past 20, 25 yards down the field, but he wasn't behind our whole defense. And I think even small changes like that are a big reason why we're really rounding in a form to close out the
1: year. They um, yeah, just not letting guys get behind you, keeping everything in front of you from you know the safety and quarterback standpoint.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, solid open field tackling has played, has played a role in the turnaround the last few weeks as well. Um, But it's strange on a night that was so defensive oriented. I I can't help but give play of the game to that, that Andrews touchdown. It was just, I mean, it was a thirty. it it traveled, I think about 37 yards in the air to gain, to gain 13 yards for a touchdown. And it's the kind of play that I'm not sure there are any other quarterbacks in the NFL can make, even on, like you were saying, one of the worst nights of his career. The fact that Jackson still has that belief in himself, that trust in Mark Andrews to just come out firing in the second half, it, it's it's great.
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, like you said, on a night, the defense really dominated. It's a little ironic, the play of the games coming from the offense. But I mean, that drive and that touchdown, uh, you know, was ultimately the difference in the score. Yeah, it's the second week
0: in a row that and and Andrews the play before it's the second week in a row that he's had a a really tough one-handed catch that I don't know how how there's I don't see a tight end in the NFL that's playing better than Andrews is right now. I mean, he he's just and 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 after playing so well the past 2 years realizing that he's got more elements to his game, more to come. I mean, he's been really underrated even as a blocker this season. So, just super impressive from him again and again just last week he he knew he had to be the safety blanket last week for Huntley and he was that early in the game and this week his quarterback struggling those interceptions a lot of those were thrown targeting Andrews but Andrews is still just Lamar's guy
1: yeah he's I mean he, he's really taken his play to another level this year and especially the blocking like you said he's become a really underrated blocker um, and he's always been kind of that safety blanket the guy that's you know, going to reel in the bad passes, the off-target ones with one hand. He's going to bring them down. Um, and, you know, he, he did that again.
0: Yeah. Huge props to him. And again, so glad that they got him extended and that Lamar's going to be able to throw to him for a couple more years. Um, moving on to the back to practice award. I think this one's pretty easy. It's just Lamar, his, his ball placement. And it's not even like, not even bad decisions. So, you know, you have the The one interception that was thrown inside of Andrews when it should have been thrown outside. He owned that one. He underthrew Andrews on another. There was one that was tipped. And the last one, I can't remember exactly what happened. But basically, it's just ball placement. I I actually don't think he's making terrible decisions in terms of where he's throwing the ball and when he's throwing it. I just think it's smaller things like ball placement that he just has to put his receivers in a better chance to a better spot to make the play because it's not like the Browns who was throwing it right to the Browns. They had to make some tough catches. And one of them definitely wasn't a catch um, to make those interceptions, but you know, it's those little things that his ball placement has been a lot better this season than we've seen in your class. It was weird to see him regress so much.
1: Yeah. uh, You know, like you said, the guys are there, the reads are there, the guys are open. Um, You just gotta, you know, you just gotta hit them. Um, and its it seems like it's really the shorter ones that are kind of, you know, tripping him up a little bit. Seems like, you know, he's gotten better um, on the deep ball, um, you know, with the shorter, you know, the shorter the intermediate stuff. It seems like that's where he's really struggling with the ball placement, getting it where it needs to be. Yeah,
0: I mean, he had a beautiful deep ball to Hollywood Brown. It was really good coverage by, I think, Denzel Ward. And that's why the play didn't quite work out. Um, but he had a really beautiful deep ball that was thrown in the one spot that Ward couldn't get to it and Brown could. And he's able to do that when he's targeting guys down the sideline. But it, now it's it just feels like when he's when he's looking over the middle, it's little things in ball placement that he's got to work on. You know, I also would just I would just like better run blocking. I'm not I, I don't think Ben Powers is the guy at left guard. I, I've lost faith in Ben Powers this season. I'm, I'm looking for either Tyra Phillips to get back in there or if Ben Cleveland is fully healthy and ready to play, I, I want Ben Cleveland to at least start rotating back in like he was earlier in the season because whether or not he's a huge upgrade over Powers, it's important for him to get those snaps and get those in-game reps. Um, and I just also feel like getting to the second level in the run blocking is something that we're, we haven't done as well this year in the past as we have in the past specifically we're doing okay at the line but being able to win a block at the line and then manage to just get something a hand a push anything on a linebacker at the second level is key to helping lamar and freeman break off longer runs because they they do a good job consistently getting yardage every play i know lamar wasn't tackled for a loss on any run plays last night i can't remember if freeman was but so they do a great job of not letting them flood the Ravens backfield when they're running the ball. Opponents flood the Ravens backfield, but they're not doing a great job of pushing upfield to kind of break off some of the bigger runs that we're used to. And obviously that also has to do with the injuries, not having Dobbins and Edwards who are really good at breaking tackles at the second level. Um, Freeman, Freeman is showing a lot of juice at, finding holes and, and getting a couple yards past the line of scrimmage when it seems like he won't, but he's not really great at breaking off those longer runs. Uh, but still all things considered with the injuries, it was actually not a terrible performance from the offensive line against a pretty good front.
1: Yeah, definitely. And going back to, you know, getting to the second level. That's something that makes, you know, Bradley Bozeman, Kevin Zeitler, uh, you know, like Ronnie Stanley, that's what makes those guys so good is they can, you know, block the guy in front of them but then get further into the second level and get a linebacker and kind of open up that hole even wider. Um, and then, you know, what you said with left guard, I think the offensive line is kind of what it is at this point. Uh, you know, no one's really coming back, uh, you know, from injury at this point, every it's, you know, what it, it is, what it is. Um, and then at left guard, yeah, I would, I mean, I would like to see Cleveland kind of, you know, at least rotate in there like he was, uh, you know, before he got hurt and then maybe take over that role full time. Um, but yeah, like you said, powers, I don't think them powers is the, uh, you know, is the guy there.
0: Yeah. I don't think he's a long-term solution and, and he's done a good job stepping in for sure. It's a, it's a tough offense to play offensive line on with all of the misdirection that we do, but you know, I, I, I there was a lot of hype about Cleveland right after the draft and I just, I'd love to see him get some more, some more time on the field. Um, but definitely, I mean, what other thoughts did you have on Lamar's interceptions?
1: Um, I mean, I think it's just, you know, it, it really is just like you said, like the decision-making is good. He's, you know, he's getting the ball where you know he's throwing the ball where he needs to. Um, it's just, it's just the ball placement. I mean, that's really, that's really it. And a couple of them, you know, I think he's up near the lead league now in interceptions. I think he has 12 after, uh, you know, after last night in 11 games, some of them have been, you know, a little fluky, like even the one, you know, kind of pinballed around hit off a few guys, hands and helmets and stuff. Um yeah, I think it's really just kind of, you know, just the ball placement, just getting it, you know, like the Andrews one, throwing it outside, uh, not inside.
0: Yeah, and and it's it's fixable stuff, and I think that's why I'm not yeah. sounding the alarm bells. And and we've seen him improve as a passer so much, even just this season in, in games. And and so you know, it's something to monitor, but it's not something I'm necessarily sounding the alarm bells about.
1: And even, you know, big, like looking big picture, it's nice to know that they can win games against a division opponent, a division opponent. Um, you know, when Lamar throws four interceptions and has one of the worst games of his career, it's nice to know that they can win, uh, you know, despite the struggles from the quarterback.
0: Yeah, I think I saw something. It was the first time in, I think, 40 games, the last 40 games, when a quarterback has thrown four interceptions and his team has still won. Of course, the last time it was Andy Dalton throwing four picks against the Ravens and the Bengals still winning. Yeah back I think in maybe 2012 or 2013, but you know, yeah, this team can win even when Lamar is not, not, not playing at his best, but when he's playing close to his worst, this team can still win. And you know, the chiefs are resurgent in the AFC, but the fact of the matter is we're the number one seed. Now we have no business being the number one seed, but we are. And watching this team win without, without much from Lamar last night, if I'm the rest of the AFC, I'm not really looking forward to playing this team down the stretch.
1: Yeah, and you're talking, you know, you start talking about other teams. Um, you know, the Ravens winning, despite their best player being as bad as he was, you look at like the Titans without Derrick Henry, they haven't been the same. Uh the Chargers, Justin Herbert's kind of been struggling and they haven't really, you know, got up to the level people thought they would be at. Buffalo, Josh Allen hasn't been as good as he has in recent years. They're kind of struggling as well. So it's you know, you look across the league and see other teams struggling along with, you know, missing their best player or their best players are playing well, whereas you got the Ravens, they're, you know, they're doing it despite Lamar.
0: Yeah, and I think that comes back to, you mentioned Harbaugh's coach of the year campaign heating up. Just a master motivator. I'm not sure there's anyone in the league who gets the most out of their players the way he does, game in, game out. I can't imagine, how you know, he, he talks about, he's asked about his halftime speeches and what he says at halftime a lot, but it seems like he just, has a couple words and everyone knows what they need to get done. And and, and they're just willing to go to war for this, for their coach. And and, and they come out and they win games as a result. Um, Moving on to newcomer of the week. Uh, This one, I felt like it was a little dry just because it was a lot of the same old, you know, Freeman is now firmly the lead back in this offense, which I'm happy with. I'm happy with the way he's played, especially the way he flashed last week out of the backfield. Owe is going to be top three, a defensive rookie of the year voting. I think it's going to be hard for him to topple his Penn state teammate, Micah Parsons, who's been unbelievably good for the Dallas Cowboys. He's a defensive
1: player of the year candidate.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and maybe if Parsons wins defensive player of the year, Owe could slide into the rookie of the year if they don't want to double yeah. up. Um, you know, we, I talked about Houston, what he brings to this team, not, not just in terms of his on-field play, But also in terms of mentoring the young guys, you know, I'm sure we can look at Bowser and OA and how well they've been doing rushing the quarterback and say, hmm, I wonder how many of these moves are coming straight out of Houston's, uh, you know, Houston's pass rushing arsenal. Bateman, we're still searching for that elusive first touchdown, but he was hot in the first half or the first quarter, I felt like. Um, And Kevin Zeitler, to me, he's the newcomer of the week. I have a couple questions about just how he was playing and how he was going to step up on this line, especially against blitzes. And he really did that today. I mean, he was amazing in pass protection. He was good, He was good, but not great in run blocking. But I think this was maybe his best game against the Ravens because he's lining up against either Clowney or Garrett almost every snap, especially on those pass rushing snaps, and did a really good job of quitting himself.
1: Yeah, I think Zaylor's been awesome. He's, I think, pretty easily been their best offensive lineman this season. Uh, you know, Bradley Bozeman's been solid. was good before he got hurt. Um, but Zeidler's easily been their best offensive lineman this year. So I, uh, you know, I have no uh, no complaints about giving this to him.
0: Yeah, and it was it was pretty fitting on a night where Marshall Yonda was the Ravens legend of the game. You know, we hadn't had a consistent right guard since he retired and t- retired before the 2020 season. It was a huge issue last year. And bringing Zeitler in was supposed to be the solution. And I think it's clear that obviously he's not a Hall of Fame Caliber guard the way Yonda is. He's still got time in his career, maybe, but you know, he's filled that role and he's done really well. And consistency with all the injuries, his consistency, I think, has been has been key.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's exactly what they've been missing without you know without Yonda. And so I'm adding a new award because
0: I really felt like last night was a win for the unsung heroes of the Ravens, just the unsung players across the board. So we're adding the new unsung hero award, and I've got a lot of nominees. Roderick Washington and Justin Ellis had a ton of huge rotational snaps against a good O-line, at this good rushing attack we've been talking about, and they played well when Williams and Matabuke weren't on the field. That, I mean, Washington is a guy who has been good, and he's been kind of always around the edges of the rotation on the interior of the D-line, but really him and Ellis, I just felt like when they were on the field, I, was, I, I wasn't worried, and I was expecting to be worried whenever especially without Campbell on the field but whenever Williams wasn't on the field I was expecting to just see the Browns break off big runs and they didn't do that
1: uh I really liked um I I just really like Broderick Washington um and I think he's a guy that they're going to need to uh you know kind of step up in the coming years at least next year with you know how old the defensive line is um I think he played a career high or at least a season high in snaps uh on Sunday um so yeah he's a guy that they need to see improvement out of um you know, as you know, Williams, Campbell, Wolf, these other guys kind of age and then uh, Ellis too. Ellis was awesome last week without Brandon Williams and he was awesome again this week without Calais Campbell.
0: Yeah, just having a big veteran run stopper that the Ravens are able to be like, okay, next man up it's been the theme all season. Speaking mm-hmm. of next man up the first next man up I think this season was Anthony Averett. like I said, it was locked down on the two times he was targeted. And the fact that he was only targeted two times, I think for most of this season, I'm not sure if he still is, he was the most targeted cornerback in the NFL. And, you know, to mix results, obviously he struggled against the Colts, looked really good in a couple other games, like against the Chargers. And I think he's now really just settled into his role as just a solid starting cornerback in this league. Um, You know, Gino Stone looked really sharp in more snaps than we've seen from him than usual with both Deshaun Elliott and Ardarius Washington out now. Brandon Stevens taking over that starting safety role, and Geno Stone is doing a lot of that rotational kind of uh, -of jack-of-all-trades work that it seemed like Stevens was doing earlier in the season, and I thought he looked really really good. We talked about Christian Welch, Chris Board, getting just – Playing the run really well. It's it's some kind of basic things that you need to do to win in the NFL. And part of it is to be able to have guys, linebackers, who can come off the bench and just make tackles right in front of them. Um, Eric Tomlinson, solid blocking. But I also want to note, he had a really nice special teams tackle. One is, of those, yeah. One of those really good punt coverage plays where I just think that that's just an element of this team that it's those little things that help you win at the margins. And Patrick McCarry. I mean, I know we were just talking about Zeitler, but I think McCarry's probably been the third best. I think Bozeman and Zeitler definitely one and two for best offensive lineman this year, but McCarry, it looked like he got beat a bunch of times yesterday, but I was watching some of those plays again this morning and I realized that it seems like it's part of their pass blocking strategy, their protection plan with Jackson McCarry, knowing that he's kind of vulnerable to getting overpowered. So he's got to kind of kick guys further downfield and, just knowing Jackson's ability to scramble and especially make plays when moving to his right. He seems to just have some really interesting chemistry with Macari in terms of his ability to evade those oncoming rushers. It felt like Garrett and Clowney were coming off the, off that right edge a bunch of times at Jackson, but just the angle that Macari had forced them to take, it was just really easy for Jackson to step up or step back and just get out of the way, which is kind of, I think, the biggest part of Macari's game. And I think, I mean, he's been one of the most unsung heroes of this whole season for me.
1: I completely agree. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, they they bottled up uh, Miles Garrett and Devion Clowney as good as you can. Uh, they still, you know, got their fair share of pressures. But like you said, the angle that they, you know, kind of forced them away from Jackson and give him a lane to leave the pocket if he needs to.
0: Yeah. But I do think you were right when we kicked off this segment. Washington and Ellis have got to be the unsung heroes. And especially what you're saying about Washington, I think he's going to be an important piece of this defense in years to come. Like you said, with the aging D-line, he is going to be a guy that gets more snaps this season. And I think next year he could be, I don't know if he's necessarily a starter next year, but I could see him definitely as kind of the third man, the first guy off the bench in the rotation
1: of interior defensive linemen. So I think they get our first inaugural unsung hero award. There we go. Yeah. And with Washington, um, you know, just kind of looking at his future, I could definitely see him being, you know, like you said, kind of a uh, first man off the bench rotational piece you know maybe they bring back maybe Campbell comes back for one more year and then maybe they draft a guy higher in the draft um, and then Washington's kind of that first guy
0: yeah we've we've developed interior defensive line talent in the past Michael Pierce is a really good example of a I believe he was undrafted and just really honed his craft in Baltimore now he's now he's a pretty good nose tackle for the Vikings and I kind of see Washington being able to Again, I don't know if it's going to be on the Ravens or not, but I just think that he will be a solid player in this league for a long time, especially getting all of these reps alongside Campbell and Williams. And, you know, when he, you know, just being in the same, you know, position group as, as Derek Wolf, a guy who's been really good in this league for a long time. I, I think it bodes well for his future. I'm, I'm, I'm actually really excited to see what he can do.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's really no better guys to learn from than Campbell Williams and Wolf, the guys that have, you know, Wolf's kind of been around the block a little bit. So is Campbell. Uh, Campbell's played at you know a Pro Bowl, all pro level for a decade now. Uh, Williams is one of the best defensive linemen in team history. Um, so, yeah, it's really a perfect kind of crop of veterans to learn from to that hopefully a year or two from now kind of take over for him.
0: Yeah, I, I think, again, goes out to the coaching and personnel development. I can't can't rave enough about this team sometimes. Uh, the Mile High Miracle Ridiculous Ravens moment of the week. I, I bet we're going to have a lot to talk about here because it was such a weird, weird game. Either of the Andrews plays were those kind of miraculous passes that I guess in the Joe Flacco era we were less used to and we're becoming pretty used to now with Lamar just being able to evade two of the best pass rushers in the game to find Andrews down the field uh, You know, twice and th- – four plays Uh, the forced fumble on the trick play was just one of those times where you're wondering what the Browns are doing in general. Like, why are you running that specific play? Um, Baker Baker's fumble. I watched this. I don't think any Raven got credit for forcing that fumble. It looked like the ball just straight up fell out of his hands.
1: It flipped out. It looks like, yeah, I don't know if anybody did get credit for that. And
0: then there was just a lot of weird stuff going on. You know, Chuck Clark dropping the interception was just, it was right in his hands. Uh, the, the, a lot of the refereeing, a lot of the refereeing calls, I'm sure we'll get into those in a second as well, but a lot of, it just felt like it took a really long time to make a lot of the calls that looked pretty obvious. Like the Njoku catch was not a catch, but they still, you know, they watched an angle that showed it hit the ground for like five minutes and then came back on the field and said it was a touchdown. And it was just stuff like that where I was like, this game is out of control.
1: It certainly was out of control. Um, and then back to that Clark interception. Um, I mean, that's just the classic, you know, that's why they're DBs and not receivers. Yeah. They're
0: just, I think sometimes, you, sometimes DBs are just so surprised the ball is right there that they're just like, what do I do with it? <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I got to give the mile high miracle ridiculous Ravens just to those, those two plays. I mean, I know we gave and play of the game to that touchdown. Um, and so maybe we can give ridiculous Ravens moment of the week to, to Andrew's one handed catch, just because, You know, an offense that was doing nothing all game, we managed to get an almost 40-yard pass downfield. And, you know, that kicked off the second half, and I thought maybe we were turning a corner offensively. Obviously, we didn't. uh, But it was one of those crazy plays where Lamar's just one of those, screw it, Mark Andrews is down there somewhere kind of plays. We see those memes pop up on Twitter every week, whether it's Mahomes with Tyreek Hill and and now Lamar with Mark
1: Andrews. Yeah, and I think the Baker Mayfield uh, kind of slipping out of his hands, fumble, I think that could have been this if they would have capitalized off it on offense instead of you know Lamar giving it right back to them
0: or if they had scoop and score because man Ravens are having trouble picking up fumbles (laughs) this season because they seem like they're in good opportunities to pick the ball up and run it back for a touchdown but I mean I'm glad we I'm glad we recovered both fumbles because I was worried once we missed the scoop that we weren't going to get the ball either time but you know that's another thing where you're like ah so close to, to just breaking off another touchdown it just, just a crazy game. Uh, and, you know, part of that was head scratchers. There was a lot of questionable decisions going on in this game. I'm going to start with the non refereeing ones. Uh, the big one was the whole, the Browns needing a 12, a timeout to avoid a 12 man on the field penalty, and then mm-hmm. still getting a 12 man on the field penalty, the, the very next play, which was just classic Browns, classic Browns mess up to me. Um, I also just felt like Stefanski, like was not figuring out how to stop the Ravens offense on those, on that last drive. Like it was very clear when the Ravens got the ball back with eight and a half minutes, I guarantee you, Greg Roman was thinking, I don't want to give the ball back to the Browns. Um, You know, that incomplete pass of Tylen Wallace kind of stalled that drive, but then the next time, the next drive, they come back, they do the same thing. And the Browns just didn't seem like they were ready for this kind of ground and pound end of the
1: game at all. Definitely not. Um, And then going back to that, you know, that whole sequence in general, they get the fake punt, but then the refs are saying they weren't in position to start the play. Then you call the timeout to prevent the 12 men. Then you get the 12 men on the field anyway. But the Ravens, I think Lamar ran for a first down regardless Mm -hmm. Um, that, you know, I mean, it's it's this segment about head scratchers. I mean, that's that's his head scratching as it gets.
0: Yeah, it's just bonkers. Uh, but now we can talk about the refs. I mean, I said two weeks ago that, or three weeks ago that the Vikings game was one of the worst referee games I've ever seen. And this one was up there, too. I mean, I felt like they missed a pretty obvious false start on, like, the Browns' opening drive. I, I swear I saw their right guard move an entire foot before the ball was snapped.
1: I'll have to go the, back and watch that. The, the Njoku
0: touchdown, I mean, that hit the ground. Like, there's dirt flying up from the ground from where the ball hit it in the
1: replay. So I don't know yeah. how you
0: missed that call, the defensive pass um, interference on Marlon.
1: Yeah, uh, with the Njoku catch, it's just I I want to cut them a little bit of a slack, I guess, just because it's you know the ball is kind of covered up with his hands and his knees right there. Um, there was we did have a really good angle that showed you know the ball on on the ground, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean. I, I, don't, I don't know in the stadium. I was I was at the game. So I'm in the stadium. I'm looking at the, you know, the big screen. And at the time, I was like, I hate to say it, but I think he caught it. But going back today and looking at, you know, all the different angles on Twitter and stuff. Um, I'm kind of I'm kind of with you on that.
0: Yeah, you know, I think one of Jackson's interceptions looked like it hit the ground, too. Uh the angles the on that one, for everybody. Yeah, the angles on that one were tougher. So I get why I get why the refs didn't, you know, I get why it was hard to call that one back. Um, but I, I just felt like it was just kind of a shoddy game from the refs. They they didn't let it get out of control. I think there was a late hit on Lamar that they called and they kind of you know cut out some of the extra physical violence going on between the teams early, which is good. But man, it's 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 tough when you watch a game and and, and you you watch the replay. I was at the game as well, and, and you watch the replays that they're watching. And I just don't understand how, how sometimes the refs don't see, you know, what's, what's pretty plain and obvious on, on the replay. I mean, that's the whole point for having the replay system is to be able to come back and get these calls right. Um, and to me, that's the big head scratcher. I, I don't know. I'd, I'd love to see a better explanation from the officiating from NFL officiating other than, you know, it was inconclusive evidence because, you know, I can point and show you where the conclusive evidence is when the ball hits the ground. Just some explanation why that's not enough. Whether it's hey, you know, Njoku's glove or you know his his knee or whatever obscured the view. Something like something more detailed than just it was inconclusive. So
1: yeah, and I think that's exactly what they told um, Harbaugh. I think they I think he said to this presser today that that's what they told him. They just said it was inconclusive evidence to to overturn it.
0: Yeah, it just seems like a really rough week for the reps in general in the NFL. I mean, Thursday was. Thursday was maybe one of the most unwatchable slates of Thanksgiving games I've seen just because every two plays there was, there was a flag thrown. And I, you know, I, I think, I think every season we talk about it and maybe we forget about it at the end of the season, but I do think officiating could use a, a pretty big overhaul just in terms of some semblance of accountability. I mean, these guys, I feel like sometimes go out, call bad games, and then they're like, okay, we're going to do it next. And we're going to get a playoff game too later in the season. And I'm just like,
1: what are you doing? Like well, yeah, I... maybe just some, some sort of like a, you know, punishment system, I guess, or, you know, maybe you don't get to call the playoff game if you you know have some like a bad call. And I think they're starting to kind of correct that. You see the, um, you know, whatever the rule changes that lets them reverse plays like almost instantly if it was obvious a bad call. So. Yeah. And I think they've used that
0: well, but even just like, you know, reporters getting the chance to ask referees or, you know, some officiating, Uh, you know, authority in the NFL. Some questions I just think would go a long way, especially in terms of improving the product for the fans, just, you know, helping show some accountability is really what fans want. I don't, I'm not sure any fan can reasonably expect a hundred percent perfect call every game. Uh, But at the same time, it would be nice to get some more explanations and, and have a little bit more accountability from refs on exactly what's happening on certain plays and certain replays.
1: I think that would be a great idea letting the media talk to him like just like you said just holding them accountable just getting some sort of explanation from them other than it was inconclusive evidence.
0: Yeah, because you know the media you know they asked Harbaugh about that call today and Harbaugh can only say what the refs told him. Uh, but you know I'd love to hear just out of curiosity's sake just knowing for the future when I'm watching and I'm not in the middle of a game losing my mind because the ball looked like it hit the ground and understanding more, you know, why refs are going to make a call one way or the other. But to me, that was a head scratcher of the week.
1: I agree, yeah.
0: So looking forward to next week, you know, after watching the Steelers get beat down yesterday, I was, I was really hoping that we'd come and have a vintage performance, maybe against the Browns, but maybe something against the Browns that would show us that Jackson's going to come out firing next week. And I have no idea what to expect next week against the Steelers other than a knife
1: fight in the streets. Neither do I. Uh, I think I, 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 if, it feels like the Steelers have been the most up and down team. You know, they have a couple good solid wins and then they look like they did on Sunday, losing 40 to whatever to the Bengals. Um, but, you know, like we were talking about earlier, it's nice to know that they don't necessarily need Lamar to have his best game to beat, uh, you know, division rivals.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure, you know, against the Steelers, kind of a lot goes out the window in terms of what to expect. But I also I just can't see the Steelers offense tearing apart the Ravens defense, this Ravens defense that has grown in the last few weeks. Uh, and I, I'm, it's really just going to be a question of what the Ravens offense can do against been a pretty consistent Steelers defense. Not great, but at least consistent this season.
1: Yeah. And that was, uh, you know, if you go back to uh, 2019 uh, Lamar's last or most recent game, with I think three interceptions was against the Steelers and they mm-hmm. did win that game.
0: Yeah. And, and so I think that's, you know, that just speaks to, you know, we're, we're back. It's another division game. You know, you know, the Steelers, I'm not sure the games, the Steelers games are going to matter too much in terms of things like tiebreakers, head to head matchups and stuff like that. But I do think you still just these are games that the Ravens should be winning. You know, I, I don't think the Ravens have any business losing to the Steelers either time this season, even with all the injuries, even with all the adversity. I just think that this is a far, it's a more talented team. And I also think it's a much, much better coached team. And I think that that's probably going to make the difference again on
1: Sunday. It's just a more dynamic team. I mean, you watch the Steelers and it looks... You know, Ben Roethlisberger looks 100 years old at this point, throwing, you know, balls into the flat that get jumped and picked off and taken back for touchdowns. Um, He just isn't himself anymore. And I think, you know, I'm kind of excited to watch how Wink Martindale and the defense kind of, you know, play to, uh, you know, play to Ben's uh, lack of an arm, you could say.
0: Yeah. And on the other side, I think it's going to be another good test for the offense, because I think the Steelers are probably going to be blitzing a lot. I think it's going to be a physical game. And, you know, it's a chance for Lamar to kind of come back and and right the ship, not necessarily in a, you know, needing to put in a superhuman 400 yard, three touchdown effort, but, you know, just not throwing picks, taking care of the ball and just moving, you know, I felt like they were moving the ball pretty consistently on offense. It was just these misfires, just killing drives. And, You know, I was reading earlier this week that Lamar is one of the most aggressive players after a a setback play, a sack, a turnover, a sack or a turnover, a fumble interception. He tends to just launch the ball down the field on the next play. And so I'm kind of curious to see if he kind of brings that micro attitude to a macro level next game where he just comes out firing against the Steelers and tries to win the game in the first half. You know, he could do it, but on the flip side, he could throw three picks again. So Who knows?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if he does come out like that. He said at the uh, postgame press conference, he said he was hot. Um, so, yeah, I uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he did come out like that.
0: Yeah. And, and it's been a while since we've seen a, a really transcendent Lamar performance. Uh, you know, probably since before the bye, he played really well against the Vikings, but, you know, wasn't. The you know the world beater like he normally is, and I'm just I'd love to see one of those. I think it would be particularly sweet against the Steelers this season, um, just to kind of establish that this is our division. This is it's it's us and the Bengals now. I'm not sure where the Browns fit in this division's hierarchy, but I really think it's us and the Bengals for a couple of years now, and it's going to be exciting.
1: Completely agree. Yeah, I mean it's the Ravens and the Bengals, and like you said, it's a chance for you know to establish some uh, some dominance in the division.
0: Yeah. And again, taking, you know, just being able to win next week and at least hold on to first place in the AFC North or in the AFC for another week is huge. I really want that buy. I think it would be huge in terms of just keeping our guys healthy and, and rested up for a playoff run. Um, And I think getting just another game this week going into what's going to be a tough matchup in Cleveland the week after, you know, second time playing them in three weeks. It's, I think it's big for us to get this win. I'm not sure it's a must win after winning today, um, you know, I'm, I was I'm kind of expecting to drop one of the two games to Cleveland, just given the way the schedule played out. But I think that makes winning the Steelers game more important because I don't want to I don't want a two game slide.
1: Definitely. Yeah. And I mean, if you're you know, if you're the Browns, you play a team, you have a bye, and you play the team again. If they don't I mean, if they don't win at least one of these games, that's uh, yeah, I mean, what you have three weeks to prepare for one team.
0: Yeah, kind of the – and I'm honestly, I'm okay looking ahead to the Browns matchup a little bit now since we're talking about it. It's funny because I'm not sure the Browns defense could play a lot better than they did, and I'm not sure the Ravens offense could play a lot worse than they did, which actually bodes well for our next matchup. It means that you know, negative regression from the Browns defense, positive regression from the Ravens defense or offense hopefully means more points to the Ravens. But at the same time, you know, are, are the Browns going to be able to figure out how to stop the Ravens? I think without – really any reliable wide receivers Landry Landry is reliable but I guess without a reliable second wide receiver I think that is just that personnel problem it it means that you know yes could the defense have played a lot better not really but I don't see us regressing too badly against them in a couple weeks
1: yeah but then I would I would counter with that that you can flip that around and say do you expect the defense to you know hold Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb to 36 yards again Clayus Campbell I assume would be back um But, yeah, I mean, it's it's
0: crazy if we if we get Campbell back to play him again and we have Campbell and Williams on the field. You know, I'm not saying we'd hold them to fewer yards, but I also don't think we're going to allow them to hit triple digits in the first half or anything crazy like that. If we have both Campbell and Williams, I mean, it just wouldn't make sense.
1: Yeah, I think it's enough. uh, I think it's enough looking ahead. I don't think we can uh, look past the Steelers too much.
0: (laughs) Well, um, you know, any other thoughts on last night's game?
1: I think that was it. I think we covered all of it.
0: All right. Well, thanks so much for joining me, Taylor. Uh, I'm Nick Kilmetha, and this has been Russell Street Replay. Thanks so much for listening, and we will ha- we'll hoping to have you back next week.